Mothers, what gift were you expecting this morning for Mother's Day? I'm not asking you what gift you wanted for today, but what gift were you expecting? I know when our children are young, the most precious gifts are those where they put their handprint on a piece of paper and just have someone write, I love you on, just like this one right here that says, from the bottom of my heart to the tips of my toes, I love you. As our children get older, they get a little bit more creative in their gifts that they make at home. And so it's amazing what you can do with some egg cartons and water bottles and pipe cleaner. And you can make these flowers to give to mom. As our children become teenagers, uh, they get much more smart alecky, if that's a word. And often their cards may have these terrible puns like these. Mom, you're one in a melon. Or... You did a great job raising me. So moms, I don't know what gift you were expecting, but I hope that the gift that you wanted today, you will get in some way. Moms, we love you. We're honoring you today. But I want to ask you a completely different question. And that question is this. What is the greatest gift of all? I'll let you think about that because you're imagining probably all kinds of answers to that, especially as a pastor is asking that. You're looking for a very spiritual Sunday school answer to that question. What is the greatest gift of all? I used to have a different answer until about four years ago. As you know, I almost died. I had a conversation with my friend, Pastor John Alford, and you know his story as well, many of you how his wife was murdered and he was left for dead. But he lived. And we had a conversation. And we both said this independently as we were talking to each other. What was the greatest gift of all? Life. That was our answer. Simply to be alive was a gift that we had taken for granted our whole entire lives. And often that's true for many of us. Unless we get to that point where we realize that we might die, we just think we're going to live forever. So I want to challenge you this morning with this simple idea that the greatest gift of all is life. And moms, of course, you are ones who have given life to those that they are in your family, your children. Isn't it true that none of us would be here? We would not have life if it wasn't for our moms. Now, dads, of course, I know you had a part to play in it, but you have your own day. This is Mother's Day. And think about it. Every single person who has ever lived, except for the first couple, Adam and Eve, has a mother who brought them into this world and gave them life. In fact, I don't know if you realize this, that Eve's name really simply means life. That's the name that Adam gave to her in Genesis 3.20. The Bible says the man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And from Eve to her daughters to women from centuries and millennia on, moms, you have given life. And we thank you for that most precious gift. Let's talk about that little bundle of joy that you gave life to. Uh, You see here this uh, sleeping baby, and aren't our children the most angelic when they're asleep? 
they, they seem so innocent. and seem like they could never even have an evil thought. What turns those angelic, innocent children into this? What happens to them? How can they be so terrible when they get two years old and throw their tantrums? You're not going to like the answer. The reason our children are like that is because we are like that. It does go back all the way to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve rebelled against God, became sinners, and they have passed that on down to every single one of us. And yes, moms and dads, you have passed that sin nature, that temper tantrum nature from yourself to your children. And so really you have no one to blame but yourself when they act that way. And that's what I want us to learn today from Ephesians. As we continue to ask the question, what is church? We learn today who we were, what God has done, and who we are now. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we learn who we were before we met Jesus. Paul writes this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. Paul tells us who we were, and you can see it in the very first words he uses, we were dead. Dead. Remember, that's what God warned Adam and Eve. He told them, if you eat from the tree the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. They ate from the tree, and immediately they were spiritually dead, separated from God. The relationship they had with God was broken. Because of that, God left them, kicked them out of the garden. And since then, every single person, because we're all children of Adam and Eve, are dead, separated from God. We never had a relationship with God. And so we are born separated and dead. Of course, a baby is living, and those of you watching me, you're alive. You're physically alive. But everyone is born spiritually dead and remains that way until they meet Jesus Christ. Think about it. Paul says we're dead. He doesn't say we need reviving, we need to be resuscitated. He says we need a resurrection. That's our relationship with God. And he goes on to tell us, Again, look at the words that are highlighted as we find out why we are this way. He says, which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. Paul tells us there's three reasons why we are dead Separated from God. One is that we live in a world that is 
opposed to God. This, this planet we live on is not uh, Christian. It's not a place where uh, God is honored and where God's will is done. This is a place where sin is rampant and has been tainted by sin, the whole creation in us. This is the world we live in. Really, it is anti-God. This is the environment. Just as we breathe the air that's around us, there is sin all around us. This is the world we live in. And Satan is the ruler of this world. And so Satan is tempting people to sin. He's trying to blind people to the truth of God. He is doing everything he can to counterfeit what God is doing and to keep people from knowing God. Not only that, we ourselves, as I said earlier, we're born as sinners. Now, of course, babies aren't evil. They don't sin in the same way that we do. But have you ever noticed that babies are very self-focused? I wouldn't even call them selfish. They don't even realize it. But babies are always focused on themselves. You know that, don't you, parents? They could care less how much sleep you've had. They could care less if you're in the middle of dinner when they're crying. They could care less how hard your day has been when their diaper is full. All they care about is themselves. They cry, and they cry until they get the attention that they need. And what happens, that self-focus that we have does turn into self-centeredness and selfishness. And that is the root of every sin. To be our own person, to rebel against God. And because we are already that way and we live in an environment that's against God and we have Satan who's tempting us and trying to blind us from God, we can see why our situation is so dire. And that is why we are dead and we are separated from God. But Paul goes on to tell us the news is even worse. He says, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. So not only are we dead and separated from God, God's wrath is upon us. I don't know about you, but I don't want the God of the universe who is all powerful to have wrath, his wrath, hanging over me. But that is who we were. But in reality, that is who everyone is until they come to Christ. Far away from God, enslaved to sin, influenced by Satan, in an environment that's anti-God, ruled by the, the, the desires that are within, with the wrath of God upon them. That is dire, but that is the truth of who we were. But the next verses have the most wonderful good news. This is what God has done for us. And I've even highlighted and put the letters in bold and underlined them and capitalized them because the next two words say this in Ephesians chapter 2, but God. We were dead, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive. With Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. 
He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You see the highlighted words, mercy, love, grace, kindness. This is how God is motivated to do something for us. He deeply and dearly loves us. He doesn't want us to stay dead. He doesn't want us to remain far from him. In his mercy, he didn't give us what we deserved. Because of our sin, what we deserved was to forever be separated from him. But he didn't give us what we deserved. He gave us a gift. That's what the word grace means. It's a gift. God gave us a gift of salvation. And this gift is what has changed us. And God has done this to show his kindness. It's amazing how the verses describe really what God is doing. In some ways, we are his trophies. We are what he is displaying to the angels. He's displaying to creation his grace, his mercy, and his love. He's saying, look at what I have done for humanity. Look what I have done for these people that I've created but rejected me and hated me and rebelled against me and were filled with sin. There was nothing in them that was lovely or worthy of the kindness and the mercy I've shown them, but I loved them and I gave them this gift of salvation. Paul goes on in those verses. Again, I want to read them again to you and see what God has done for us. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Do you hear what Paul is saying God has made us alive. He has raised us and he has seated us in the heavenlies. In other words, what the Father did for the Son in raising Jesus from the dead and exalting him and seating him at his right side, that's what God has done for us. Again, think how amazing that is when we were far from him and when we did not deserve his mercy and his grace. This is the amazing work that God has done for us. And so now we were far from him, but now we are saved. And that is who we are now. We are sinners who are saved by the grace of God. And Paul tells us more about this salvation as he continues in verses 8 through 10. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Paul says you're saved by grace. In other words, it's a, it's a gift. Again, there's nothing we deserve in receiving this gift. And there's nothing we have done to receive the gift because there is no amount of good works there is not enough praying. There is not enough uh, 
that we can do to make up for our sin. There is not enough, there is nothing we can do to deserve salvation. Paul says it's not about what we have done. It is about what God has done. God, in His love, His mercy, His grace and kindness, raised us to life, saved us, and gave us this gift of salvation. Paul says, because of that, none of us can boast. We can't say, look at what I have done. We can't say, look, I am better than you because I am closer to God. I have done more. I deserve it more. None of us deserve it. None of us can boast because God is the one who has done it all. But this wonderful gift of salvation, we do have to receive it as any gift. If I hand out a gift to you, no matter how much you want it, no matter how much you like it, no matter how wonderful it is, if you don't take it, it's never yours. And so Paul says this gift of salvation, God gives to us. We receive it by faith. It's faith. Believing. Believing that Jesus died on the cross. Believing that he rose again to life. Believing everything that he has promised to us and said about who he is and the future we have in heaven. Having faith in him and who he is, what he has done. That is how we receive that gift. And when we receive that gift, that's not the end of the story. Those verses tell us that God gives us this gift of salvation because we are his workmanship. That, that's a beautiful Image. The, the Greek word is the word we get our word poem from. And so I think of God as he thinks about our life. He's just not saving us so that we are close to him and we're spared from the lake of fire and hell. He has a purpose for us. As a poet would write a poem and think about each line, God has thought about the plan he has for our life. As a potter would take clay and make sure that every part of that pot was exactly the way he wanted it to be. That is how God has planned out our life for us. We are his masterpiece. Maybe think of a painter who has thought about where each color is going to go and what the painting is going to look like. That's what God has done as he's looked at our life and saved us for a purpose. And that purpose is to do the good works that also are from him. Do you notice that? The, the good works he has prepared ahead of time for us. Really the idea is that he has laid out a path. And as we walk down that path, we do the good works that he has set out there for us. Isn't it wonderful? God has saved us. He did all of that. And also he has saved us for a purpose to do good works for him, but even those he has prepared ahead of time for us. So just like any path, our obligation is to walk down it and to follow God as we live our life. We are his masterpiece and he has the perfect plan set out. We simply need to follow him. As we follow him, we'll see the good works here and there that we are to do. And as we do them, we fulfill the purpose for why he saved us in the first place. We've been asking the question, what is church? I'm finally getting to it, but don't worry, the sermon's almost done. That wasn't just the introduction. 
What is church? It is life. Church without life obviously is dead. We think of dead churches. And often we think of dead churches. We think of churches that aren't growing numerically. Or we think of churches that if we attended them, we would feel like, well, that's kind of uh, d- depressing. Or that's kind of stuffy. Or you know, that's what's happening here. Nothing's happening. But really, when I think of a church that's dead, it's a, a church that's doing the opposite of what a healthy, growing church should be. And that is a church that's alive. And the church that's alive first has to be filled with Believers with people who have been made alive. And so if a church is filled with people who have been made alive by God, by saving faith, then that church should be doing the good works that has been laid out for them to do. And when a church is filled with believers saved by grace, following the path and obeying God, it is a church that is alive and that is doing the work of God. So this morning there's really only... Uh, two ways to respond to what Paul has written to us. One is this, are you still dead? Or have you accepted the gift of salvation by faith? If you're still dead in your trespasses and sins, the gift is there. Take it right now. Have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and he will save you. He will make you alive. He will raise you up and seat you in the heavenlies with the Father. If you are a believer, then this is the only other question. Are you following the Lord down the path? Have you wandered off, gone your own way? Have you seen the good works there and you've passed them by? If you pass by the good works, repent. If you're off the path, get back on. God has a beautiful, masterful plan for our life. When we follow Him in it, It brings reward. It brings glory to His name. We fulfill the purpose for which He saved us and for which He's laid out the works for us. So brothers and sisters, hear the word of the Lord this morning and respond. God has done great things for us. Let's go to Him in prayer. Father, we cannot say in words enough, thank you. Thank you for what you have done for us. We cannot live a life long enough or in enough obedience to say thank you for what you have done for us. But Lord, we will try. We will try with our words, with our voices as we sing praise, as our life as we live for you, to say thank you for what you have done for us. I pray for any this morning, Lord, who have not accepted your gift of salvation, that today would be the day that by faith they accept it. I pray, Lord, for all of my brothers and sisters that we would stay on the path and follow you. Lord, I pray now that as we respond, we would simply say yes to you, Holy Spirit. And I pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.